Hello and welcome to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mikado, the podcast where we aim to give you an up-to-date review of what's gone on in livestock, grain and wool markets and have a bit of a chat about what we're reporting on in our day-to-day analysis on the Mikado website. Today I'm joined by Robert Herman and we're going to cover off on livestock and wool so stick around if they are your commodities of choice. There's plenty to talk about this week and once again it's uh, as a result of an MP with a microphone. But before we kick off, uh, just a thank you to our sponsor for this week and good partners at Western Union Business Solutions. They're the go-to partner for any business that needs to send, receive and manage international payments and cash flow. They also have a team of foreign exchange specialists that provide support, market insight and risk management consultation. We've been working closely with their agribusiness team over the last few years and I can tell you that they have a really fantastic understanding of the needs of businesses in ag and as well as that, they're just a great group of people to work with. So we'd be really happy to put any listeners in contact with them. But on to today's chat and first of all, welcome Rob. How's everything holding up in Ballarat at the moment? Uh, Well, we're holding up pretty well, Liv. Um, I guess we're getting used to it. I wish I could say the same thing about the wool market, though. It's um, it goes from one sort of uh, episode to another. And this week, um, the uh, AWEX who run the auctions were informed that uh, the Victorian government has has decided that having those auctions in the location and the way they are doing them um, is not permissible now under. Um, under lockdown phase four, which is in Melbourne. So that really has sent a, a bit of a scattering of, of ideas through the industry to say, so what do we do? Because we're coming in now into the spring period and there's plenty of wool that needs to be sold. So as of right now, there's still no clear direction. So we, we record this on a Friday afternoon, obviously. Um, but some of the options, the, the sales will go ahead. Some of the options that are being considered are that um, they could actually transfer the Melbourne offering to um, to Sydney and, and use the Sydney auction room and the Sydney buyers to operate. Um, they could actually move to another location that was a bit um, a bit more open, so a bit more space for people and, and, a, and considered safer, or they could go to an online platform and so all those options are up in the air. Um, and I think the, we can have confidence that the wool industry really um, is able to deal with these sort of left field situations. If you remember back, there was a stage, I think it was in March, where they had a cyber attack and shut down the sales and, um, and people adjusted to that. So, so that's sort of um, the, the big story about, about wool. But unfortunately, it sort of overshadowed the fact that the wool market this week, Liv, really did perform pretty well. Um, it, uh, the, the dollar was a little bit cheaper. Um, buyers came back a bit stronger after the fall in last week's sales, as we reported. And, and there was less wool offered by growers. So all those sort of things conspired to produce a, a market that was um, on the uh, based on the EMI, it was stable. In fact, if you dug into the market a little bit, though, the, uh, the fleece lines, all the fleece lines, the major lots all improved in value and, um, and it was only the skirtings and, and oddments that were weaker which sort of levelled the market off. But in general, um, the market had a good week. That is a, a good sign that those buyer interests came back this week and 
it's a bit of a shame, I guess, that there is a bit of disruption uh, coming for the few weeks ahead of the wool market because it would have been good to see sort of a stable, you know, pick up of buyer interest coming back through and it'll be hard to see how that fits into, um, you know, the disrupted auction room going forward. Yeah, I think um, that's right. We, we do know, and I know Andrew Woods reported on this last week or the week before, the market's capable of absorbing about 30,000 bales right now. So we, that's going to be watched. So if the volumes jump up because of spring shearing and everything, it's going to pressure the market. And I just, just want to lead in, Liv, to looking at some long-term trends. And sometimes we get so caught up with what's happening day-to-day and week-to-week um, that you know you, you you can miss the big picture, and Andrew Woods this week put up a really good article looking at the long term deflated apparel prices and um, what 's happened is that um, you know the apparel prices of cotton wool and and synthetics are all you know they 're interlinked i mean it makes sense because they're they 're being used by consumers uh, you know and, and, and interchanged i guess but um up till 1999 or, two, or since 2000, uh, merino prices in US dollar terms have, have, traveled, have trended higher. So up until that point, they were struggling, um, but they've, they've trended higher, while at the same time, um, synthetics and cotton have really been flat and, and low. And there's an interesting uh, concept in that uh, when synthetics are first, were first uh, made, their price really collapsed in the first five or six years. So it fell by about 80%. And that's what happens to a man-made synthetic product. It, it, you've got all this startup costs and, and, you know, the initial cost of getting things set up. But once you get a factory going, um, the, the, the cost of producing that product, in this case, a synthetic fibre, really collapses. And that's what puts pressure on other fibres. So cotton and wool are natural fibres, but they still have to compete in that space with, against a factory-made product. And so Andrew looked really uh, looked at that, and what we've seen is that wool has done really well, especially since about 2000, where it's trended upwards, whereas um, cotton and synthetics have continued their longer-term trend downwards. So stepping back, Liv, I think you can say that um, we do have some positives in the industry, and and that'll stand it in good stead post COVID-19. Yeah, I remember looking at that chart that uh, Andrew Woods put up on on the website, and as well as there being a, a rise in the wool price over time, there was a lot more volatility in it compared to the cotton and um, synthetic price. Why is, why is there such that difference there? Yeah, that's right. I think the explanation comes from the fact that wool is such a small part of the fibre market. It's, it's 0.5% of the apparel fibre market now, and that's yeah. down from, I guess, over the last 30 years, it's gone from about 4% down to 05 and it won't get any, any larger uh, obviously, we're not having got more sheep. The other thing that uh, that was also noted was that you know the trend in lamb prices um, and and sheep meat prices was all also similar uh, to wool. It was trending up against uh, against other products, and and that coincides with this lower sheep flock worldwide. We 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 always note how low the sheep flock is in Australia. We're at a hundred year low, but that same low flock is represented across the world. So there's less wool and less sheep meat available. And that's coincided with this improving measurement of those trends compared to other competing products. So, um, and that probably helps explain why sheep farmers have been in such a good space in the last few years. It's, um, it's been a combination of, 
meat prices and wool prices. And if you then start to try and look to the future and we say, okay, um, I, I liked it where Andrew Woods made a really good comment. He said, um, he said after COVID-19 is, you know, the impact is over. And then he, in brackets, he said, uh, and we'll leave the very important question of when that happens to one side. Um, but after that, the, the outlook for sheep, both in terms of wool and sheep meat, is quite strong based on that, based on lower numbers and that improving demand situation. Yeah, I mean, that's a good, good lead into what we're looking at for lamb this week. And even though we have seen the market for, for lamb weaken over the last month because of all the disruptions with COVID and there has been a lot of talk about weakening demand overseas, but we got the July figures for um, Australian exports recently. And even though in, in May we had that uh, massive drop-off on exports going going overseas and June had a pickup. It got back to sort of the normal volumes that we were sending overseas and we are sort of waiting and watching to see whether that was, you know, a one-off, whether it was going to fall back down to below normal levels again or um, if it was sustained. And, and the July figures were, you know, tracking right on on the five-year average really and, and close to the June levels. And a lot of that was the U.S., they picked up uh, 51% more lambs in July than the same month last year, which, you know, is a, is a huge pickup. And that was 66% more frozen lamb than last year and 41% more chilled product. And a lot of that was taken out of the Middle Eastern market that we know has really struggled during COVID to take on the volumes because of the disruption to freight. But even though we have seen the volumes of lamb going into those markets, you know, still really strong during this time. It's the prices that are indicating that there has been that weakening demand. And so frozen legs into the US uh, had a slight lift in price, but it's the chilled racks, which are your really high value lamb product. And they've been falling steadily since February. So that's, you know, a clear indication of what's going on overseas and and when that's going to flow through to to the prices we're seeing. Yes, look, it's, um, it, it is turbulent times. Um, and of course, we've, we've, we spoke enough about last week about the disruption to meatworks. That hasn't gone away, but we can be confident that everybody's working as hard as they possibly can to try and address that, certainly trying to stay ahead of the spring flush of lambs that uh, we know is coming. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens in that time when we're getting you know, 30% more lambs on the market and how processes are going to move those high value cuts um, when it when it is time that we've got so much more supply than we do have now. And of course, Victoria plays such a big part. I didn't mention, but 45% of the Australian wool clip is sold in Melbourne. And I, and I think it's 40% of uh, lamb slaughterings is, is all done in Melbourne as well or in Victoria. Um, so what happens here in terms of the health situation is really going to impact as well yeah yeah absolutely and that's something we just don't have any guesses over the the timing of but um we've probably spoken about enough about sheep and lamb today rob is what's been happening with cattle well um well the cattle market has been extraordinary i mean we noticed that uh, there's some victorian store sales that were reported this week and you know nicely bred angus steers making four dollars 
$30 to $4.40 live weight is just a wonderful price and, uh, you know, way up there. It's interesting that this time last year we had um, sheep and lamb prices going through the roof and cattle were struggling as a result of the drought and the big herd reduction that was happening. With the, and we used to talk a lot about the female slaughter ratio and impacting on that. Well, now it seems to have flipped and the cattle market is really holding re with a great deal of resilience. I think there are some risks there, though. I mean, I, th I really think you can't see that it can remain disengaged from some of the larger global forces that are driving demand. And, and you know, there's starting to be comments that the Australian beef is the dearest beef in the world. Now, that's a great thing if you're a seller. Uh, longer term, though, it's, it's not so great. And, uh, you know, JBS at Dinmore, the biggest meat processing plant in Australia, has decided to shut for a few weeks. Um, that's because the supply just isn't there. And you can't just go to the market and, and buy regardless if you're losing money on each each animal. The other thing that uh, you mentioned what else has happened, but what else came out was the cattle on feed numbers. So the number of cattle in feedlots, it's still holding just above 1 million head, which is a really remarkable number, but it's as low as we've seen it now for a, you know, a couple of years. And I think uh, we're also seeing that the weights are going up in those feedlots. So the reason we know that is that the, the number of cattle coming off the feedlots is, um, is slowing down and so the cattle are being held longer. So there's a lot of heavyweight cattle in those million head that are on feedlots. That'll support the market and keep coming through and, and there'll be, you'd imagine there'll be good margins for those cattle. The big question is, are they getting going to be replaced and to continue that supply? And, and the suggestion is without, one of the things that happens with a low herd, the first thing that happens when the herd gets low is prices go up but it also means that future supply struggles and, uh, and that's going to make it harder for buyers to keep supplying meat markets at profitable levels. Yeah, I think one of the points that Angus highlighted was that grain-fed cattle have become more important in supplying slaughter levels in the last five years and obviously the droughts contributed to that. Uh, but how does that play when we, we come off the drought and we're seeing, you know, more, more grass-fed cattle? Does the demand sort of adjust really quickly to what type of cattle we're seeing? Um, it, it doesn't, it's not so much adjusting, Liv, I don't think. I think it, it tends to, to shift slightly and you only need to shift a little bit. So some of the supermarkets who were really relying on um, grain-fed finished cattle uh, through the drought times, we'll probably now be able to supplement that more with grass-fed cattle. And, and of course, finishing an animal on grass is a lot cheaper than finishing it on grain. Um, so if we've got the seasonal conditions up the East Coast to do that, you'll find more farmers will keep those cattle on and the buyers will be aware of that and they'll shift across to that. So we'll see more grass-fed and that, that's not a bad thing. Um, but longer term, that grain... Um, finishing industry is a really important part of the overall cattle business in Australia. So it, it, it allows people to breed animals in areas where they can't finish them and have good markets to finish. So that, that capacity is there. You know, we saw cattle on feed get up towards 1.2 million, I think. The capacity is there. But of course, those feedlots have got to be able to make a profit and, and to, to keep operating. And that's where we're seeing this area a little bit... Um, difficult at the moment where the cost of cattle going on is uh, making it difficult to make profit at the other end. One thing that will contribute in favour a little bit is the lower price for grain. Um, now that, that 
lower price will really kick in from harvest onwards. So we could see grain prices um, providing a little bit of a cushion to the high cattle prices and allow those feedlots to, um, to build up their numbers again. Yeah, I think last time Angus Brown looked at uh, the lot feeder margins, they're already starting to come under pressure. So we'll have to have a, a look at that again with the new results out now and see how they're faring. But look, thanks for coming on this week, Rob. I think that probably wraps it up enough nicely for this week. And thanks again, as always, for listening to Commodity Conversations. Oh, we'd love it if you could tell your friends about our podcast, especially those in Victoria that are a bit housebound at the moment. Recommendations and virtual sharing is always appreciated. So please share around our podcast to them. Thank you very much and we'll see you next week.